Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans, welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week, we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today we're talking to Val Jean Bart from Val's Cheesecakes about his family story and what it takes to run a sweet business these days. Then we'll dive into fish sandwiches, the best things we ate recently, and the return of iconic Dallas restaurant Steak and Ale. It all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food. Like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make-every-recipe-in-the-cookbook foodie or a my-favorite-recipe-is-reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. Be sure to go to dallasnews.com slash food after this for information on our show and lots of food and drink stories. And you can always share your thoughts with us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, we'll be talking to Val of Val's Cheesecakes. But right now, I'm joined by food writers Sarah Blaskovich and Claire Baller and producer Julie Fisk to talk about what's trending. So, Sarah, the biggest news of last week that got everyone talking was the return of iconic Dallas restaurant Steak and Ale. (laughs) So please tell us what is going on with Steak and Ale. Yeah, I saw this one coming from a mile away. When I learned that Steak and Ale was going to get a resurgence after it went through bankruptcy in 2008, I knew we needed to write about this, whether Steak and Ale was coming back to Texas or not, because Steak and Ale started in Dallas in 1966 at Oak Lawn and Lemon Avenues. And people who went to that Steak and Ale or many of the others just developed this deep love and all these sweet memories about what eventually became one of the most famous chain restaurants in the country. The history was already here. It turns out that a Dallas guy is the one who's reinventing it. And he said publicly, the first one's going to be in Minnesota, in a place where he and his family have a second home. So, you know, I'm like, okay. Wow, wow. Yeah, give, give me more. Um, I know I know there has to be one coming to Texas. There just has to be. So right. I emailed the CEO and said, are you interested in talking? 90 minutes later, I'm the one who's like, Paul, I got to go. <laughs> he was He had so much to say about this brand. He loves it. He'd never owned or franchised or operated any of these. He had just eaten there with his family on Sundays after church. And he realized an opportunity as a restaurant buyer. And people in Dallas really care about this. We reached out and asked our readers to tell us their favorite steak and ale memories, what they loved about steak and ale. And there were a lot of two word answers. Prime rib. (laughs) Yeah. The bread. And salad bar. Salad bar. People loved that salad bar. There was even one comment, and I apologize to my friends at church who listened to us, but the goddamn salad bar <laughs> and Hawaiian chicken with like a bunch of vents. <laughs> and so I have not been to a steak and ale, I must admit. I always got it confused with steak and shake. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So I was not aware that this was like a nice place you could go and get prime rib, but now I do. So um, what was it about the salad? bar because that seems to be like a key thing that people really were into it is and it's a good question Aaron right because like there are salad bars everywhere now and there are whole salad restaurants well when steak and ale opened its salad bar you would walk up and you picked up an ice cold plate so there was sort of a sensory moment and then there was all this stuff that you got to do all on your own and I think a lot of people it seems so silly but I think a lot of people who went there were younger because it was a family-friendly affordable steakhouse then they grew up and have memories of being like 12 and mom and dad are like you get your own ice cold plate and go to town buddy 
that was pretty major, I think, if you were a kid. And then for adults, people had just never seen this before. You know, this sort of shared thing where you could pick all this awesome stuff, put it on your plate, and there was just, it was included in the price. Gene Dunstan, someone I had interviewed about the oldest restaurants in DFW, at his restaurant, Dunstan's Steakhouse, he tells a story that his customers disappeared for a while. A couple of them came back and he said, where you been? And they said, well, there's this new place in town called Steak and Ale and they have a salad bar. And these people liked that salad bar. So what did Gene Dunstan do? Enterprising 92-year-old man that he is today. He put in a gosh darn salad bar in his <laughs> Dunstan Steakhouse and people started going there and enjoying his salad bar. And that salad bar is still there today. So I know that the salad bar seems so simple. Restaurant people, especially those who create replicable brands, a million of them are going, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I give somebody a cold plate and two kinds of shredded cheddar cheeses? It's not hard, but it, it offers, you know, an opportunity for the diner to eat the way they want to eat. Plus, you can be disgusting. Like my favorite totally. thing to do at a salad bar is cottage cheese with blue cheese dressing on top of Whoa. it. Whoa. Possibly some pineapple on the side. Oh, man. You should see Erin. I'm about She's, to pass out. Yeah, crawling out of her skin. It is delicious. It's like dessert Well, for me. and then that cottage cheese can touch the salad that you've also made, which yes. has a different dressing on it, which is going to touch maybe some fruit or maybe a couple pieces of bread or you really like croutons. So like you just got 14 croutons in the corner that aren't on the salad. They're, yes. they're part of the meal. The being weird maybe is the best part of the salad. Yes. Bar. <laughs> I thought, I thought COVID killed salad bars though. Cause people were like, Oh, can you imagine that we used to do that? It was gross. People I remember like breathing yeah. on each other's food and they're going to go scoop up the same stuff and who knows what they're like dribbling and other things. And yeah. So I'm like surprised if this is going to have a comeback. Well, in post steak and ale, we got, you know, Jason's Deli, Snappy Whole Foods, Salads. And, Whole Foods Salad Bar. Yeah, Central Market Salad Bar. And, and those didn't die. But Claire, absolutely. I thought that the first couple of months of the pandemic, we may never eat indoors again. But if we did, that we certainly wouldn't like touch the same ladle as somebody else. And... I think people are going to go wild for the salad bar when it comes back. And I should say the first one's supposed to open this year in Minnesota, but the Texas restaurant in Grand Prairie should open in 2024. And I would love it. Everybody reading, if you would go to dallasnews.com slash food and read the whole story, because there's just a lot of cute little moments in the history of this iconic brand. A very famous uh, salad bar in Dallas that's now closed. I'm not going to say the name of it, but my entire family witnessed an elderly woman walk up with a fork in hand and just start eating directly out of the salad bar. No, no. Yes, until she was escorted out the door. But that did, that kind of killed salad bars for me. But listening to you talk, like I want to go and find some cottage cheese at a salad bar right now. It'll be there. You're going to be yeah. escorted out. <laughs> you do that. There have been some enhancements in salad bar safety and sanitation, I believe. The sneeze guard. Yes, the sneeze guard and, you know, just rules and boundaries. Yep. <laughs> just grab your fork and eat out of it. Give Julie like 45 years and she might be there. That will be me <laughs> with a spoon though, a spoon instead. Yeah. So another story that did really great last week, Claire, was your roundup of fish sandwiches for the Lenten season. I know a lot of people even internally were like, whoa, sandwiches? Yeah. <laughs> like, is this a thing? <laughs> like it's they were totally a thing. Well, it's interesting to me that this is the second time in recent podcast history that we have talked about fish sandwiches. And <laughs> I had no idea that this was like a sexy thing right now. I am kind of chicken sandwiched out. Uh -huh. I love a chicken sandwich. I love a fried chicken sandwich. But it's been kind of a lot. And yeah. fish sandwiches have been around, but they have not been as popular. They've never had a time to shine like the chicken sandwich. If ever there was a time, it's the Lenten season, which, you know, happens yearly. And you always see the fish sandwiches from 
McDonald's, Whataburger has one. I think Chick-fil-A has one. Long John Silver's um, Long was John big Silver, in my yes. Catholic household Yep, <laughs> in March and April. But I was like, you know what? Let's call out local fish sandwiches. And the interesting thing is these are sandwiches that exist on menus year round. This has nothing to do with Lent, but I think a lot of people don't pay attention to them when they're on menus. So why do you pay attention to them, Claire? Because I know you love a fish sandwich, maybe more so than the burger or the chicken sandwich. Why? I love a fish sandwich. I love a flaky white fish uh-huh. sandwich. I sexy. always, I think it's sexy. I think Claire. they are sexy. <laughs> I think they are. And I, I always feel a little bit lighter when I eat one versus a chicken sandwich or a burger. And I find that the flavor combinations that you get on fish sandwiches are always a little different than you see with chicken. They're a little bit more creative, I think. I think that's a great point, actually, Claire. So many different kinds of fish can be prepared so many different ways. And this story taught me a fair amount. Because we're not just talking like, take your fish from fish and chips, put it and between put two buns. No, right. You can, and yeah. that's fine. But there's so much more on this list than that. A fish sandwich is anything from battered cod to shrimp to lobster. Sardines. To sardines. So on this list, I think one of the more interesting ones is the sardine sandwich from La Bodega Rotisserie and Goods. Totally. Which is funny because it's a rotisserie. It is a chicken (laughs) restaurant. Good point. But they uh, Mm -hmm. use sardines in a lot of things on their menu and salads and things, and they make a sardine sandwich. On this list, I threw in a great lobster roll, there are... Let me ask you a lobster roll question. Yeah. Mayo or butter? I'm a butter person. Mm, okay. How are the sardines done? Are they fried? No, they're like whole sardines, essentially. Pulled out of the oil? Yep. One picture that I saw, it looks like they do th- you know, three big pieces of them. Also on that sandwich, they have roasted tomatoes, olives, capers, fresh herbs, oil, vinegar. So it's a very light, bright kind of sandwich, which you wouldn't really think of that. When you think of fish sandwich, you think of a battered thing, right? Yeah. It sounds like a salad. Yeah. yeah. Does it sound sexy? No, no sardine has ever been sexy to me. I'm so sorry. Speaking of fish, um, my son is actually very allergic to fish, but he's always wanted to try sushi. Luckily, he also loves seaweed. Like we have to buy pallets of it from Costco because he loves seaweed so much. Cool. He will get one of those brick sized packages of seaweed snacks and take out the whole stack, like two billfold sizes <laughs> and shove the whole thing in his oh mouth. Oh my gosh. That <laughs> like just sounds like fun nine-year-old boy stuff. <laughs> yes. And it's, uh, it kind of stinks. This is inadvertently taken a turn to weird stuff we eat discussion, <laughs> which I would yes. like, can we put a pin in that for later of a, what's the weird stuff that you or your kids eat? as yeah. a okay. snack or someone you love or okay. God forbid somebody that you work with who goes in <laughs> and heats up something really disgusting in the microwave. Yeah. A person who brings fish to work. Yes. I had shrimp curry for lunch. Are you talking about me? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so yeah, my son is really like kind of addicted to seaweed and loves it. He really wanted to try sushi, but of course he's allergic to like all the fish. So I was like, hmm, what can I do? I know there's veggie sushi options out there, but I was like, maybe it'll be a fun family activity that we can do at home. We bought a sushi bazooka. I love this. So usually the traditional way of making sushi is to get the bamboo mat and then you roll out your sheet of nori. And then you take your rice and you pat that down. But the rice is always very sticky. You kind of have to like wet your hands so you don't have rice all over your hands. So this bazooka thing is awesome. And I will say like, I am not a kitchen gadgets person. I'm really trying to keep- You're a kitchen containers person. That's that's very true. But as far as gadgets, I'm like, 
Yeah. You know, I try to keep the gadgets to a minimum, but the sushi bazooka is totally worth it. Googling so this right now. It is a plastic tube that opens in the center. Mm-hmm. So you put rice on one side, rice on the other, and then you make a little tunnel on each side and then you put your fillings and then you close the container and it has like a little cap on the end and a little like plunger thing on the other end and you like kind of squish it to so tighten it. compresses it. it. Yeah, so it compresses it and it keeps it really, really tight. And then you take the cap off and then you sort of plunge the sushi roll onto your nori. That sounds fun. And it's like the perfect length. It's perfectly compact. And all you have to do then is like roll it up in the nori and kind of seal it with like a little bit of water. What so, yeah. did you put inside of it since you can't eat fish? Basically, I just tried cucumber at first. I was like, I'm just going to try one filling because this is the first time I've done this. We've done this. This was a family project. Yeah, yeah. Well. How did that part go? Were you were you doing it by the end? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Best laid plans. Because also he's gross and doesn't wash his hands. So I don't want him anywhere. <laughs> more of that nine-year-old boy stuff. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So anyway, we just did a cucumber one and then like a cucumber and avocado. But I think I'm really going to explore some tofu, marinated tofu and lots of other stuff in it because it's really like super easy. And I put some in his lunch this week. So now he's the kid who brings sushi to school for lunch. Well, his mom is the food editor for the Dallas Morning Yes, I know. Where did you find this bazooka? Amazon. I'm looking at her right now. I feel like we need to have a things that don't suck segment. Where yeah. when you buy something like this that you use and find it's really effective. We need a better name, clearly. I don't know. Um, I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because that's a great idea. Yeah, it is. And I was surprised because I was like, this isn't going to work. This is going to be like 25 bucks. I totally wasted. But after the first time I used it, I was like, whoa, sushi bazooka. <laughs> I feel like I'm cheating, but I also don't care because no, it turned I out mean, great. Hey, if it works. <laughs> yeah. That's a fun story. Yeah, it was really fun. I recommend everyone try sushi at home because if you do like just regular sushi with fish, you, I mean, you could put anything in there. I mean, really sushi, I think is mostly about the rice. So make sure you get your sushi rice and, you know, rinse it really well. Um, and use the crazy water number two oh, to, right. uh, to cook it in. Guy. Yes. That really yeah. does seem to make it taste better for some reason. Oh, because you ate it at Tatsu. You didn't make it at home. No, well, we ate it Tatsu and then started making our rice with crazy water since then because, yeah, it tasted so much better. I do think it works and you can find that at Kroger. Oh, wow. I'm going I'm to try that. Isn't it from Mineral Wells, Texas? It's from yes. out west. Yes, it's over there where the Baker Hotel is. Super haunted little town. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. And if you listeners have a kitchen gadget that you have on hand that you think doesn't suck, please email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Stick around. We're going to talk to Val Jean Bart of Val's Cheesecakes about why he loves Dallas and why Dallas made such a difference to him. Central Market is really into food. Like when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back. We're excited to talk today with Valérie Jean-Bart, who we all know as Val of the popular Dallas dessert shop Val's Cheesecakes. He rocked the local sweet scene 10 years ago with his famous brisket cheesecake, and now he's opening his fifth location. 
His newest spot is in the Cedars, and it also sells snacks and sandwiches and acts as a kitchen incubator for budding food business owners. So Val, why don't you tell us a little bit about your food business origin story? Like, why did you decide to open Val's Cheesecakes? Well, first, let me just get this out. It's a pleasure to be here today. And uh, the Dallas Morning News has been really good to Val's Cheesecakes for the past 10 years. So I'm in awe to be here and thankful to be here so much. Oh, thank you so much. I know whenever we write about you or mention you your joy and passion for what Uh you do always comes out and everyone's like oh my god I love Val so much (laughs) I love Val and his cheesecakes but mostly I think they just love you well (laughs) I hope so I hope so I hope they love the cheesecake too for sure um so um I moved here in 2008 so I moved here because I was turning 30 so I'm no spring chicken no more (laughs) Uh, so I was turning 30 and I said I need to try something different and then my best friend told me listen you have a lot of baggage in Florida, just move to Texas. That's exactly what I did. I quit my job. I left a good paying job, a good civil engineer paying job. And I just packed my bags in my Nissan Altima and just drove to Dallas for 18 hours. And then three months later, my mom came to visit me. You know, she wanted to see what her last Haitian kid was doing in Dallas. <laughs> and that's exactly what she came to do. So um, she she stayed with me for a couple of weeks. And then after a couple of weeks, I noticed that my mom was just taking time to go up the stairs. You know, and I said, Mom, we got to check it out. So we went out to Presbyterian Plano and then they found that she had terminal breast cancer. Now, my mom had a mastectomy in 1995. So between 1995 in 2008, my mom is complaining about a little bit of stomach ache, a little bit of bronchitis, a little bit of this. So I don't know why my mother didn't go back to recheck. Why didn't the doctor emphasize going back? So that's the biggest gap in my story that I never seem to understand. We found that she had terminal breast cancer, that it had spread through her spleen, her liver, it's all there. Mm-hmm. So uh, the doctor told me, Val, you have, she has six months. And I'm like, okay, we're not going to go back into the hospital room and tell her that. That's not going to happen. So <laughs> somehow I convinced that doctor, I don't know how I did this, but we went back to the room and told her that she has a chronic cancer disease. The word terminal never came out. And for the next four years, my mom, they didn't give me six months. My wow. mom gave me four years. I just pretended like you are not going to just give me six months. You know, I'm going to force you to bake cheesecake with me. We're going to do whatever you see on Paul Ladine and Sandra D. <laughs> she loves Sandra D. I don't know if y'all, you might be too young, but Sandra D had a show called Semi Homemade. Yes. Oh, yeah. And that was her show. And so we did a lot of the recipes that she did, but turned them into cheesecake. Oh. So every Sunday, my mom orchestrated this design design of a cheesecake based on a recipe she saw because she loved the cheesecake because she lived in New York back in 1966 as a young Haitian girl working at a Jewish bakery. So she fell in love with cheesecake there. So we orchestrated something every week. So here I am working at the city of Arlington as a civil engineer. 
And at five o'clock, my mom calls me and says, hey, listen, I need Peruvian sweet potatoes. <laughs> Can you go find Peruvian sweet potatoes? You know what that is at five o'clock? <laughs> Getting around town and trying to find Peru, calling people and driving. So for next, I have a night job, Peruvian sweet potatoes for three hours. Where did you find them? I think I find them at Central Market. So for over four years, we have over 200 recipes in this green box. And um, after her passing in 2012, I said, you know, I have a lot of emotional unrest. I'm going to work this out. I'm going to work this emotional unrest out. And that's exactly what I did. I found a kitchen and I begged Matt Spillers at Odd Fellows to carry me. And he said, Val, bring one cheesecake. And I brought 13 cheesecakes. <laughs> <laughs> and so he just, um, he said, yes, yes. And he carried uh, my first cheesecake, the Nutella cheesecake there, and then the sweet potato cheesecake. And so that's how it started, baking at St. Paul United Methodist Church in the basement, and then just grew, just started to sell to restaurants. And then in 2015, we opened the shack. That's that's mm -hmm. an amazing That's the journey. story. <laughs> yeah. And so what are some of your most popular flavors now? Or which one was your mom's favorite? So my mom's favorite is the Lemon Avenue. So we have some cheesecakes that are named after streets of Dallas, like love the that. Lover's Lane, the Royal Lane, and uh, the Greenville Avenue. Yeah. So <laughs> we have those. But my mother's favorite is Lemon Avenue because that lemon poppy seed cake is like a dense Haitian cake. And Haitian cakes are like, there's no fluffiness. It's just heavy. You know, just, <laughs> that's how it is. So that is my mom's favorite. And then sea salt mocha. But the most popular flavor I've learned over time is just Dallas, Texas, you know, they know good stuff. You know, they know the classic and the, the number one seller at Val Cheesecake is classic strawberry. Every week, every month for the past 10 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That surprises me. Is the brisket cheesecake still on the menu? So that is. <laughs> <laughs> so so we started when when COVID showed up, some of the vendors there were doing some of our sourcing out of brisket because I don't make my own brisket at all. Right. So I buy the brisket from this guy who was smoking them in Duncanville for me. He changed career. Now he no longer does brisket. I still get requests. Hey, can you make me a brisket cheesecake? Can you make me a smoked salmon cheesecake? Can you make me a cheddar or bacon cheesecake? So mm. it's an underground cool <laughs> menu type of thing. Not everybody knows about it. Okay. So, I still bake them. so we won't tell anybody. <laughs> no, no, just between you, us four. <laughs> <laughs> and so you've been in business now for 10 years. What has that been like in Dallas? It's been a journey and it's been a learning journey mm -hmm. to me. Uh, so I opened the first shop on Maple. That was the little shack by the grapevine. Oh, so right. that was opened in 2015. And then we closed that on November 21st, 2021 on my birthday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I decided the last day should be on my birthday in 2021. Uh, we opened Greenville in 2017 and that is still kicking. We opened a location in Fort Worth at the food hall there. And unfortunately, COVID took care of the food hall. And then we opened at the AT&T food hall and we had a little, <laughs> we had a little public situation that was covered. Okay, so right. uh, it was, it was an ethical dilemma, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, we closed that. And then now we have our fifth location that we're opening, which is the Accord location. So to me, it's been learning that 
you need to own the land that you sit on. Until you own the land, you are at the mercy of a landlord. To me, that's just not a good place to be. So Val Cheesecake is diligently saving for that. So my next location is going to be on a piece of land that I own. I don't care where it is. It might be five square foot. It's going to be, I'm going to own the land. I want to ask, was it difficult for you to make that jump from being a civil engineer to opening your own business like this? It seems like that must have been a little scary or maybe not. Maybe you were just so ready for a change like that. So I graduated in 2000 from UF, go Gators. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started my first job in Jacksonville, Florida. The last year there in 2003, I asked my boss, I want to go work at Smoothie King. I told him I can work three days and then for next two days, I want to go work at Smoothie King and do something completely different. This wasn't like 20 years ago. So for six months, I did that. I work at Smoothie King making smoothies. The next three days, I went to my engineering job. So I think it's always been there that my state of being cannot be contained in a eight to five mm-hmm. job. And so it's been in the making. And then my mom was a businesswoman. So I've seen it. So it's kind of in my DNA. I've had it all this long. So I think when it came, when she passed away in 2012, I was still doing civil engineering. I said, you know something, I'm going to put a business together. I'm going to see if it works, if it sticks, if it's just me working out my emotional unrest or not. And that's exactly what I did in Dallas. Just welcome me, just welcome my mother's story. Just, oh my God, I could go on and on about the city, but I think that made it easy for me to just know, okay, there is potential here. This is not just an emotional thing just for now. I'm going to stick it out and I'm going to work it out. So I kept my job as a civil engineer until 2017. I was doing both at some point. And I think you can make your day job work for your other passion. You don't have to hate your day job. That's really powerful. Out of those 200 some recipes that you and your mother made together, how many have seen the light of day on Val's menus? So there's only 17 on the menu at the shop. There are 12 ones that I just put in a recipe book that is just came out. So I guess 12 plus 17 is 29. So there's over 170 wow. or something like that, if I can still add math. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there is a lot that haven't seen the light of day. Um, the most horrible one that I've made with, with my mom <laughs> yeah. is avocado chocolate chipotle cheesecake wow i thought that was going to be great that sounds great like (laughs) avocado chocolate and a little bit of chipotle that didn't work out that was the nastiest thing i ever heard but it got it got its own recipe card like it's written down so my mom like made recipes and i have pictures of them so we don't have cards we have pieces of paper like those traditional yellow stock like notebook And you can see during those four years, because my mother went to an all-girls Catholic school in Haiti. And if you don't write correctly, they would spank your hand like <laughs> until you get it right. And so my mom has a beautiful handwriting. And then you can see over the four years how the cancer is affecting it and just trembling and so on. So I have all those notes and it's in there. So that's how we keep recipes. So no recipe cards, but a lot of notes and handwriting stuff. 
Are there any um, Haitian flavors or influences from your childhood that you've incorporated into the cheesecakes? The only Haitian cheesecake we've done, well, two. It's a cream of wheat. I know, y'all. Cream <laughs> of wheat, right? No, I How love it. How can cream of wheat be a cheesecake? So in Haiti, we make when we make cream of wheat, it's no longer like a cereal. It's a dessert. Mm. So we put evaporated milk, a lot of sugar, a lot of butter, a lot of uh, lime zest and uh, cinnamon, nutmeg. So I transformed that into a cheesecake that I've done at the Shacklon Maple. And then we have this clear mousse, which is like an Irish cream, but we would call it a Haitian cream. It's just a little bit of cinnamon, a little bit of coconut, and it's a very rich cream. And we drizzled out on top of a cheesecake. But my mom was completely enamored by Paula Dean and Sandra <laughs> D, and that was going to be the makeup of our cheesecakes for the rest of our lives. <laughs> okay, so lots of butter. Yes, yes, lots <laughs> of butter, and she just she just loved those two women, and I owe a lot to how those shows supported my mom. She loved watching them, and oh my god, I could go on and on about those two women for sure. They brought her a lot of yeah, joy. Yeah. Have you ever reached out to either of them and told them about how much they mean to you and your mom? I haven't, and I need to, and I think I will do that now. That's a great idea, and I think I'm going to do that. You sound very committed to Dallas and, you know, talking about how Dallas has been really good to you. What do you love about the food scene here? What I like about Dallas is that it has this new frontier aspect to me. I grew up in Haiti watching the show Dallas in French, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> so I always said, oh, God, I love the way they look, the horses, the ranch house and stuff. We listen to country music in, in, in Haiti. So I've always been enamored by what we see on TV on the Dallas show, but that's not fully Dallas. So to me, there's something very, I can come here and be something and blaze new frontiers. And people here like a good story. They like to connect to people. They want to see that you are authentic. That's mm -hmm. very important. This is a city of food. People love to eat, you know. So when my friends comes here, like I'm always like, okay, the biggest agenda item is food. So get your stomach together. <laughs> <laughs> and so what's on your list of places where you take friends? Well, I made a list. I don't know where my list is, <laughs> but there are two restaurants, but they close. Okay. Oh, okay. But, so I have five more, five backups. <laughs> okay. So the first one is Cosmic Cafe. Mm, yeah. Cosmic Cafe closed a few months ago. Yeah. And then the second one is Stampede 66. Oh yeah. I good. love those. Those are my two favorites of all time and they will remain. So Mesero, for some reason, there's something very consistent about Mesero. The chips are always the same. The drinks are always the same layers, you know. And there's something that I appreciate about the consistency at Mesero. I like Loro. I know Loro is from Austin, but they're now here. I like vegan food house. I'm not a vegan. I'm not a vegetarian, but I just love vegan food. Um, I like, um, oh my God, what is that restaurant that I like? Um it has a uh, menu item called mess. Pick on lunch. Yeah, they yeah, have the this they have yeah. this item called hot mess, and then Lucia, Lucia, where you can't find a seat for like three months. Mm -hmm. Those are my favorite places in Dallas. That's a good list. Sure. Yeah, those are I good think, ones. Yeah, yeah, that's a good list. For, yeah. <laughs> so, have you ever made a vegan cheesecake? I was making a vegan cheesecake on Saturday. So we make one vegan cheesecake every week. And it is a cashew-based cheesecake. 
and we source out the crust and so on, but we do make a good vegan cheesecake. So at your new location in the Cedars, I know a big part of that mm-hmm. is helping other food business entrepreneurs. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the incubator that you put together there? Okay. St. Paul United Methodist Church gave me a kitchen for two and a half years, and I just never forgot that. I'm indebted to them for helping me start my business, and they won't take any money from me. <laughs> they will never allow me to pay them back. Uh, so I said, okay, how can I pay it forward? So that's exactly what we have at Accord. We have 1,500 square foot, and three quarters of that is commercial kitchen and then the front space is the pantry so i call it the kitchen and pantry the kitchen is mainly used by vendors or small business owners who need a commercial kitchen and then the front is is where they can sell their product also other vendors can sell their products there so it's painted for forward really and our rates are really low i am not gonna go to that vacation to fiji (laughs) on those rates that's not going to happen so i wanted to meet people where they are in their business and 10 years ago i would have appreciated finding something like that to start my business and that's exactly what it is it's not just renting out the kitchen but also i know a lot of marketing experts graphic experts lawyers attorneys because val she's has had some issues so i know what goes into a business if you want to open a business we can help you with that and if you want to get out of a business i can help you with that too that's that's really key and that front part of that location in the cedars will function as like a market right it's going to have grab and go things that people in the neighborhood can come by yes so i use used to live across the street from it and I would find myself going to gas stations and the Kroger that's like off the highway off of Haskell to go get something to eat and I always said if I could have something right across the street or in the neighborhood where I can walk and buy some local popcorn some snacks some salsa some some fresh bread and stuff like that that would be in my pantry so that's why we call it the pantry so you can find some snack and grilled cheese we do a mean grilled cheese it's real good go try it (laughs) i know that's on my new sandwich list thank you so much val you can visit his new val's cheesecakes kitchen and pantry at 1112 south acker street in dallas in the cedars and he also still has his shop at 2820 greenville avenue yes thank you so much val thank you so much y'all i enjoyed it Hey listeners, this is Christopher Wynn. I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Dallas Morning News. And that thankfully includes the food team that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is that food stories are people stories. Restaurants say a lot about who we are, our culture, and the health and well-being of our communities. If you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com slash listen. So we're two months into 2023, and I know you guys have eaten some amazing food recently. Every month, Claire writes a story called The Best Things We Ate that spotlights all of our favorite bites. So Claire, what was the best thing you ate this last month? Gosh, the, the most memorable thing that I had this month was the crispy potato sandwich at La Casita Bake Shop, which is a bakery in Richardson. So this breakfast sandwich is is new to their menu, and it is the most exciting breakfast sandwich I've maybe ever had. Yay. It has this slab of 
potato that is breaded. It's pretty thick. It's like a thick slab of The picture makes it look like it's chicken. You would think it's a protein, but it's not. There's no meat on this sandwich. So it's, it has egg, caramelized onions and peppers, a poblano aioli, avocado, and then that potato cake of sorts. They change their menu often. And I'm like, please, please, please keep this on there. It is so good. If you do go, there can be a line there at La Casita. They're only open on Saturdays and Sundays. Good to get there a little early. And just a note that the sandwiches, they say, be prepared for a 15 to 20 minute wait. If you do order one of their sandwiches, they take a little bit of time. So Aaron, what about you? What was the best thing? Oh, um, so I've been, in addition to making sushi at home, I've been obsessed with dumplings. Recently, we all went to Fortune House on Greenville and I really love those dumplings. It was a really dreary day and cold and we ordered a bunch of things, but that first bite of the soup dumpling, the pork Xiaolong Bao, was just so delicious. And I think maybe I was also starving, <laughs> but <laughs> but it was so warm and comforting and savory and salty and just like the right amount of everything. It was just delicious. They're really, really well-made dumplings. Yeah. I also recently went to Hello Dumpling, their newer location at Walnut Hill, and they have recently started adding bao to their menus. Oh, I think cool. a few months ago, maybe. So um, I got the chicken and vegetable bao and those were delicious also. It was like $10 for three big bao and they're really filling and easy to eat in the car. (laughs) Good car meal. I got to say those Shanghai noodles at Hello Dumpling are Uh some of my favorite things in the world. Yeah. If you're just looking for really straightforward, solid dumplings and noodles, that is the place to go. What about you, Sarah? Um, February was an interesting month for me because I didn't eat a lot of food that I was highly excited about in Dallas restaurants. However, I took a couple trips and was really excited about the food that I ate on those trips. And one memorable trip, so we all remember at the end of January, beginning of February, it was very, very cold and we were all stuck at home and schools were closed. And I just had a truly awful week. I had both of my children at home. I was working full time in an ice storm and I just felt supremely stuck. And so Friday afternoon, my husband came home from work and I'd taken my kids to grandma's house. My mom had offered, as soon as the ice clears, bring your kids to me, just take a break. My husband came home from work and he said, what if we get on a plane that goes to New Orleans in two and a half hours? And I said, I can't do that (laughs) because you can't do that, right? Like you can't do that. And he was like, why not? The kids are at grandma's and it's not an expensive flight. Let's get on a plane and go someplace fun. And so we did. We left Friday evening. We got to New Orleans about nine or 10 o'clock at night and we flew home Sunday afternoon. And so we spent two wonderful days in New Orleans. It happened to be a couple of weeks before Mardi Gras. So we caught a Mardi Gras parade on accident and we spent so much time eating wonderful food in New Orleans. It's my favorite food city in the world and it makes me really happy. And the best thing we ate there was at Coop's Place. It's this sort of crappy bar restaurant that's been there forever. And the guy who worked at our hotel used to work there. And he said, there's this one dish that you have to get. And so I sat down and said, I need the chicken chapatulas. The server said, you definitely are either from here or someone told you that because <laughs> no one says that dish with such confidence. And I was like, I've been practicing the whole time as we walked here. The chicken chapatulas is named for the street chapatulas. And it is a piece of chicken with cream sauce on top, shrimp and tasso ham. And then it has green beans that are cooked in like bacon fat on the side. And it is all just one monstrous plate that I barely shared. It was our lunch the next morning after we'd gotten there. And it was so satiating. 
It made me so happy. It felt like being stuck inside with my kids and a job was so far away. I don't even know if that dish was actually as wonderful as I thought it was. I think maybe, but I, I also think that a scenario around why you eat food in a place matters. And so that spot will forever be special to me. And we're going to have to eat at Coop's place again when we go back to New Orleans just to get the chicken chapatulas. That's so romantic. Thank you. That's amazing. <laughs> and so what about you, Julie? What's the best thing you ate? It was just this past weekend. So we were trying to go to El Rincón del Maíz, and um, apparently they are closed. It looks like they just closed and are reopening in McKinney. So we sat in the parking lot for a couple of minutes trying to figure out where we were going to go eat next. And we ended up going to Frankie's in Garland on Beltline, which has probably been there for a million years. And it was so good. They have these amazing brisket enchiladas where the enchiladas actually have mashed potatoes in them. And then there's brisket on top. And I got these chicken mole. And I mean, mm. you know, the margaritas were great. Mariachis came out and saying happy birthday to my friend Jeff. Like it was it was just one of those perfect nights. And because it's been around for so long and it hasn't been on some top 50 list from Bon Appetit, we were able to walk right in on a Saturday night and get a table. So I'd have to say those brisket enchiladas with the mashed potatoes, that's the best thing I've eaten in months. And again, like you said, though, Sarah, it was just kind of a perfect night and perfect service. So thanks to Frankie's. Hit that place up, Garland. Thanks, everyone. And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining, and I hope we've made you hungry for more. We also want to hear from you, so share your food thoughts, favorite restaurants, or tasty recipes with us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. The show is produced by Julie Fisk. To stay up to date on every episode of this show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Aaron Buki. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Eat, drink, DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market.